Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray, a podcast where we strive to follow the Come, Follow Me outline provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and where we strive to apply the teachings found in the Scriptures to our daily lives and to become more dedicated disciples of the Lord. I hope you're having a wonderful uh, day today. hope you had a wonderful weekend. Um, let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive right into Acts chapter 6. So let's go ahead and get started, shall we? Our dear Heavenly Father, we are very grateful, Father, for this new day, this new week that we have. We thank Thee for the opportunity that we have to come closer to Thee, to learn of Thy will for us. We thank Thee for the chance we've had to partake of the sacrament and to renew our covenants with Thee, Father. Help us now as this week begins that we will have the courage to keep those promises, that we will press forward and do what needs to be done. Help us to have the courage and the faith to make the changes in our lives that we know need to be made. We're so very grateful, Father, for all that Thou hast done for us. We ask Thee to please bless us now with Thy Spirit, that as we study we might have our minds and hearts opened to this instruction that is before us. We pray for these things ever so humbly, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, all right, let's get started, shall we? Um, so, I hope you had a wonderful time uh, last week as you continued your study on your own. Um, I know I kind of fell by the wayside a little bit in putting out podcasts, which I'm sure that those of you who are regular listeners um, pretty much figure that's going to happen at this point because I'm not super good at the um, at releasing episodes every every day as much as as much as I'd like to, we'll get there. But it's not gonna it's not um, happening quite right now. So I apologize for that, but I hope you had a good time studying on your own. So let's go ahead and jump into chapter six um, and see where we're gonna where this is gonna gonna lead us a little bit. Um, yeah. Let's go ahead and just jump right in. So in verse 1, in verse 1 of chapter 6, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the, of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among, among you seven men, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom ye may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to, to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. All right, so we have this, this, this problem that arises. So first off, we see that the, the church is growing. We see that the, the number of the disciples is, is growing in number. The, mission, the, the missionary work is, work is going well, which is great. But as anyone who starts a business or starts any group or organization knows it's a wonderful thing to start gaining more people or more you know have, have more people come in the problem arises that now new things are needed and that there there becomes problems that you you yourself cannot handle in your day-to-day -day duties and if you do end up dealing with those your other duties that you have your other responsibilities fall by the wayside in a lot of cases. And so that's where the disciples say, well, you know, they've, they're gathering all these people and the Grecians are upset because, well, 
our widows, the people that we need to be taken care of, they're not getting the help that they need. You're, you're, you're giving the preferential treatment to those who are closer to you, to those who, who are before you always. And so our people are falling by the wayside. And the twelve are, are kind of disgruntled a little bit, saying, well, if we just go about worrying about the administration of the, of the temporal things all day, we won't have time to be able to, to do the spiritual calling that we've been entrusted with. So, they say, brethren, look ye out among you seven, of the, uh, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom ye may appoint over this business. So, they're, so now they're looking for a new, new position in, in the church, someone who can fulfill that role while they can remain um, busy, I guess you could say, remain in focus on, on their original calling. So in verse 5, and when, saying please the whole, and when the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Ghost, and Philip of Prochorus, and and Nic- Nicanor, sorry, I'm bad at these names, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. All right, so let's jump over to the, the New Testament uh, student manual. So it talks about the seven, these seven men who are called to assist. As the church grew rapidly, the apostles were no longer able to care for the needs of all the members. The Grecians, who were Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, which that's quite a long title, felt that their, their widows were neglected and complained against the Hebrews, who were Palestinian Jewish Christians. Excuse me. To address the growing need to care for widows and others, seven men were called and given authority to assist the twelve. These men served under the, under the direction of the twelve with the specific task of caring for the poor and needy. It is not known what priesthood office the seven men held. In the church today, bishops and branch presidents have the responsibility to ensure that those in need receive help. The bishop, it says, quote, the bishop has divine a divine mandate to seek out and care for the poor. He directs the welfare work in the ward. His goal is to help members help themselves and become self-reliant. In branches, the branch president has the same welfare responsibilities. Bishops are blessed with the gift of discernment to understand how best to help those in need. Each individual circumstance is different and requires inspiration. Guided by the spirit and the basic welfare principles, the bishop determines whom to assist, how much to give, and how long to assist. That comes from a booklet uh, titled Providing in the Lord's Way, Summary of Leader's Guide to Welfare. All right, so they're, we're not sure what position they were. these seven men were given, but it seems like, for at least in this instance right here, it would seem that it, they f- were beginning the fulfilling role of of a bishop or a branch president. Their, their job was to specifically look out for the welfare of the members in these seven areas. That was their job. Um, so pushing forward in verse 7, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue. So let's let's jump let's jump back to that real quick. Just that Stephen um, 
was doing these these things. Um, this is kind of a, an interesting little little note here. It's there's a, there's a balance to it for sure. That I want to I want to say that on one hand you don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be the prophet to do amazing things in the priesthood. Now, does that mean that we should take it upon ourselves to only seek out the great works because, well, I I am a priesthood holder and therefore I will only do great things? No. The Lord tells us in Alma that by small and simple means does the Lord confound the wise. And in many instances, that great works are brought to pass by the small and simple means. And so, the truth of the matter is that we should not be afraid to act simply because we don't have, well, I'm not the bishop. Well, I'm not the, I'm not the stake president. I'm not the branch president. I'm not whoever it may be. It doesn't matter. If you were baptized and you are a devoted disciple of Christ, when the need arises, that's your time. That's your job. It might be that the Lord is giving you this this is his, this is your job in this moment. This is something he wants you to do in this moment. And so we shouldn't be afraid to magnify our callings. Whatever they may be, they may seem small and insignificant, but they never are. Oftentimes the callings we may find small and insignificant. One, someone else may be wishing they had that calling, and two, you may not fully understand the depth to which you are touching other people's lives. And by magnifying them, you begin to build up the kingdom in your area. And we see that here with Stephen. He, he was full of faith and power and did great wonders and miracles among the people. Which, you know, oftentimes we think, well... A miracle, he must have, you know, there must have been a lame man who couldn't walk anymore and he healed him and made him walk again. Maybe. That may have, that may have been the case. But let's not discount miracles such as arriving at someone's house in their moment of need, being directed to them at the exact moment when they needed your help, knowing who to go visit, knowing what to say, knowing the words to use to pull someone back to the gospel, to remind them of the love that Christ has for them. Those themselves are also miracles and should not be discounted and should not be looked down upon. Because sometimes those moments are as life-changing as healing the lame or the deaf or the blind. All right, uh, moving on. In verse 9, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and the Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and them of of Cilicia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. And when they were, sorry, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake, then they suburned men, which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. All right, so you have these men who 
No, let, let, let's, let's keep going a little bit. In verse 13, and they and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. All right, so they have, we have these men who they're getting upset because Stephen is obviously preaching against things that they are teaching in their synagogue. In their synagogue, they're they're trying to um, most probably hold to the to the to the uh, the Jewish the Jewish faith laid down by Moses, um, and that had been heavily corrupted over time by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the various scribes and those who were in um, religious political power at the time. And so you have these men who now are, are, are trying to b- battle it out with Stephen, but they can't. They can't best him on these topics because, well, Stephen, being a righteous, a righteous priesthood holder, has the, has the Spirit with him to guide him in these, in these matters if he remains humble and righteous, which it appears he does. So he's being gu- guided. They can't, they can't catch him in his words or or befuddle him or sully his name and so they start to get upset and they fall back on the same thing they did with the lord they they set up false witnesses um to use against him in court to to slander is what the the footnote says to slander him which um i don't imagine that with Christ, it was the first time they had used false witnesses in the um, in the courts, in the Jewish courts. But that that example in, during Christ's uh, trial is one note of corruption <clears throat> during that time. And then here again, in this right here, we see it happening again, which we would probably be able to assume would lead to a, a an idea of a pattern. There is a pattern of well, when the Sadducees, or the Pharisees, or the le- the religious leaders of the time have someone they want to get rid of that they can't seem to get rid of, the use of false witnesses works really well. And so they set up some false witnesses, and they try and destroy him. In verse 14, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place, and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. Um, which, if they had their eyes open, they would notice he'd already done. Um, as there were many people who were um, actively joining in the gospel at that time. So in the New Testament manual, it says that uh, Stephen was one of the seven chosen to help the apostles care for the poor and needy. He was full of faith, performed great miracles, and taught with the power of the Spirit. Those who opposed Stephen were from one or more synagogues where Jews from foreign lands worshipped. Libertines were former slaves who had gained their freedom. Cyrenians were Jews from northern from northern Africa. Alexandrians were Jews from from the Egyptian city of Alexandria. Cilicia was a Roman province of Asia Minor. From the from the accusations made against Stephen and his defense, it appears that his opponents were angered by his teachings that the coming of Jesus Christ was had redefined basic Jewish concepts regarding the land of Israel and the law of Moses and the temple of Jerusalem. Stephen's opponents suburned men meaning that they persuaded men to commit perjury. Um, yeah, like we said, they're, 
they're very upset. And I, I wonder if the fact that they come from other countries and are, are Jewish, uh, I believe that even at this time, to um, be Jewish, you had to have the, the lineage. You had to have the lineage to support that you were Jewish. You couldn't just necessarily, you couldn't just convert to the faith. And even if you, you, you could, you could say, I believe in it, but you weren't held to the same position. So I would be willing to take a guess and I don't know this is true, this is honestly my own opinion, but I would take a guess that we had that you had those members of the Jewish faith at this time who lived in other areas of the world. They lived in Rome, they, they lived in um, lived in Egypt, they lived in Northern Africa, they lived in these other areas, and they were somewhat isolated and um, probably somewhat, um, they probably felt somewhat uh, alone in their faiths. And I, I know that even today there is that, that novelty of being the one who's different, of being the one who's special. And I wouldn't be surprised if one of the things that they were upset with was the fact that Stephen, if he was preaching the same gospel, which he was, was preaching the same gospel that Christ had preached, was telling the people that it didn't matter what your lineage was. If you came wholeheartedly to Christ, willing to pay the price that everyone else has to pay, you could receive the same blessings. There are no chosen people, per se, in the eyes of the Lord. Only those who choose the Lord, if that makes sense. And that may not have sat very well with some of these um, these foreign um, Jewish practitioners, because all of a sudden their specialness begins to dissolve. And I would believe as well that this is probably a weakness that many of us may have to have if they were these alienated groups of Jews, they may have felt like, no, no, I have suffered. I have paid the price to be, I have paid the price as the only Jew in my, in my community. My family has suffered. And now you're going to tell me that all of that suffering was for nothing because now this faith is done away with and changed and all made new, and those same people who mocked me and ridiculed me for my faith can now become Jew, now become the chosen of God as well? Is that what you're telling me? And for some people, that's too much to handle. And so, despite what may have been the truthfulness of the word, they began to try and pull him down and close their hearts to it. I don't know if that was the case. I don't know at all. That may not have been the case at all. It may have just honestly been that there were men who preferred their power, just like in, in the time when Christ was there, and felt like, no, we will not let go of our power. We will not step down to submit to this new rising authority. It could have been that way as well. In any case, 
they have him in, they have him brought before a council. And in verse 15, And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. So if we jump to the New Testament student manual, we see that Elder Bruce R. McConkie says, Elder Bruce R. McConkie identified the reason why Stephen's face shone like an angel. He says, quote, Stephen was transfigured before them, visible witness thus being given that God was with him. In a lesser degree, it was with Stephen as it had been with Moses, the skin of whose face shone visibly after he had communed with the Lord for forty days on the mountain. Close quote. That comes from his uh, Elder, Elder McConkie's uh, book, Doctrinal New Testament Commentary. But the manual continues, the New Testament manual continues, says, by, by opposing Stephen and his testimony, the Jewish leaders were also opposing God, who had given them obvious signs, uh, given an obvious sign showing his approval of Stephen. In the life of Stephen, we see a reenactment of parts of the life of Moses, notably his transfiguration, the rejection as one of God's authorized servants. Stephen's experience also echoes the transfiguration of the Savior, further underscoring Stephen's charge that, that opposition to Moses and opposition to Jesus Christ were historic patterns in Israel's resistance to God. So, that suddenly becomes a pattern that we see. And I, I hope that it's not a pattern that we see in our own lives. The pattern of, well, this difficult thing is brought to us and it pulls us from our comfort zone. It asks us to grow beyond what we're used to. It pulls us away from what we culturally hold dear to. And because of that, we reject it. Because it is not within the cultural limitations that we have set for ourselves in our world. I hope that when we feel that, the scriptures, the scriptures say, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. When, which that imagery should lead you to, you know, you have these these spiky objects that are pointed in one direction on the ground or on a wall or on something, and instead of going the opposite direction away from them, you stubbornly stand there and kick at them to try and break them off and try and go the way you want to go. When, if you would just do and go the way you're supposed to, life would be so much easier. And that is what the Lord is trying to tell us. That is what the Lord and Stephen at this moment are trying to tell the the post the post I don't know how to say it, not the, they're not latter day saints, but the former day saints, I guess you could say. Trying to tell the leaders of the Jewish faith at that time and the and the members of the church that you can sit and fight against God. You can. But God is God. He is the leader of us all. He is the father of us all. He is the king of kings. And he knows the way in which we can receive those things that we want. But we have to do it his way. We have to do it the right way. That is the thing that many of those leaders at that time didn't understand. 
was that those things, that desire for power, could be satiated. But it had to be humbled first. That desire to be seen of God, that God would see your suffering and, and acknowledge your sacrifice, that can be achieved. But you have to humble yourself and follow in his path. Take up his cross and yoke yourself with Christ. And as you give up yourself to him, then you receive the new life that you're looking for. Your desires, your wants, your needs are met and fulfilled. I testify that this is true. I testify that as we strive to become better, as we strive to live the gospel, as we strive to become true disciples of Christ, our desires, needs, wants, wishes can and will be met as we give ourselves fully over to Christ. That is the way. He is the way. I know this to be true. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.